you like or dislike uh, an abbreviation of your name? I've always wondered. Because I'll just abbreviate just because I feel like it's easier. But if you feel like it's disrespectful, call me out. I think whenever someone calls me Ash, I feel like, oh, we've reached a whole new level. Like, I'm Ash to them. And I, I, I like it. I think it's like, it's exciting that you feel comfortable enough to call me Ash. And I actually like Ash. I think that's sort of more my personality. Yeah, it fits. I, I don't think I would call you something that I, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like if you called me Lee, I'd be like, mm-hmm. Lee? Like, yeah. no. No, you're not a Lee. So. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like your cool girl name. It's my cool girl name. It's your alternate personality. That's also your exact personality. I know. <laughs> what about Katie versus Kate? Um. Yeah, so I do have that on my Instagram profile for that specific reason because a lot of people who are close to me call me Kate and they call me Kate before I ever identified with Kate. Oh. So I think I kind of grew into that identity. Hmm. Isn't that funny? Yeah. My mom calls me Kate, literally my entire family. Uh, especially my cousins. Um, yeah, like my cousin, um, the one that I guess I, like I grew up closest to, only calls me Kate. He doesn't call me Katie. He told me it feels weird to call me Katie. Oh, crazy. But I think almost because of that, I kind of like – and yeah, I actually have another friend too who just like to each other were each other's abbreviations. Like calling each other's full name just kind of feels weird. But I think that's kind of the, the cool part of having uh, a, a name that you can play around with. Yeah. And especially, like, because I have, like, a, a an, an, oops, bumped my mic. Like, another, like, a legal name on top of that, too. So I can play around with my name. I kind of like that. Yeah, I think that's super cool. Yeah. I definitely did that to a friend. I met a friend, and I immediately just called her Mel, not Melanie. Yeah, there you can. There's a vibe you can tell. There are some people like that same cousin that I was telling you about. He's not an abbreviation to me. He the to to me, I'm the abbreviation. Well, I guess that's kind of hard to explain. From him to me, I'm the abbreviation. From me to him, he's full name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's so just a name that fits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, welcome to the Coconut Grove podcast. <laughs> Where we talk about names. Exactly. Where we talk about pretty much whatever we want for the first 15 minutes. Or 45 minutes. I don't know. Whatever we decide. How was your week? How was your weekend? I'm feeling great because tomorrow's my Friday. And yeah. then I get to eat. And then I'm thinking of just like doing whatever the heck I want for four days. Four days. So so nice. So I'm living my best life today. How oh my you? god, that's amazing. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. A little tired. Went away on the weekend. Had a great time, but Ooh, you like... went to Ohio. Yeah, I stalked your story. Yeah, it was so pretty there. Oh my gosh, it's just. Have you been? No. It's like, um, it's kind of by Santa Barbara. And it's inland, so it's got, like, that desert vibe, and it's, like, wine-tasting, country, like, olive oil tours, like, this kind of, like, ritzy. Did you bring back souvenirs for your kitchen? I have a few things. Um, Unfortunately, we 
uh, ran a little behind on time and didn't get to the olive oil tasting, but I'll tell you why in a second. Okay. It was a good reason why. And But we got some wine. I'm also now a member of some wine wineries. I have memberships now. So Ooh, that's so funny. Yeah. So we can yeah, go get some free tasting. Um, I'm down. Yeah. So free tastings in Ojai. Um, but yeah, we were going to go to the olive oil tasting, um, but got a little delayed because we basically had lunch with Aaron Paul. Wait, the Aaron Paul? For real? What? That's From so Breaking Bad and Westworld. And- um, I was so in love with him watching Breaking Bad for the first time. Right? Like, truly. <laughs> there, oh, actually, this will lead into another story, but there are very few actors that, like, give me butterflies. But Aaron Paul specifically in Breaking Bad, I don't know what it is. There's nothing attractive about his character, but also there's so much. I know. It's so weird. And I he, love Aaron Paul. He's like that in part. Well, not entirely a Jesse, but he's, he's. But he has that kind of like charming weirdness about him. He's right? charming and strange, but oh, wonderful and so friendly. And I couldn't even believe it. I was sitting there. I was in a theater. Okay. I'll let you continue in a second, but I was in the theater with Aaron Paul once. I saw. <laughs> I went to. This <laughs> he's everywhere. I know. Um, but it was for his premiere because he was in Bojack Horseman. So yeah, yeah. I went to like some premiere. Uh, at the Egyptian theater, I want to say. Um, and most of the cast was there for BoJack Horseman. It was, like, for the last season. Really cool. Yeah, that was pretty cool. But that was my only Aaron Paul experience. Anyways. I mean, he, he's a very nice guy. We were just sitting there uh, eating our lunch. And, of course, my friend has this most the most adorable baby. So she's got her baby there. And he walks by with his beautiful wife and very adorable daughter and he's like oh my god your son's so adorable he's so precious and we're both just smiling and like holding this baby and he's very cute like he's smiling and everything and it's great and uh yeah just Aaron Paul's just like oh we're gonna have a baby boy like we're 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 this far along and he's chatting with us and then he goes and he sits in like the waiting area for the table and then he comes back and he gets like seated right behind us and his little daughter is just like so infatuated with with like the kid and she's trying to talk to him and hold his hand and everything and so of course Aaron Paul's like okay so he turns around and he's chatting with us about it and just like learning a little bit about like how it was to raise their kid's story. And Stop, then that's the cutest thing ever. Their next kid is were a boy. Were you a totally normal human or were you freaking out a little bit? I was like, I was a little bit in between. I was kind of like, this is crazy, but also like try to be normal. And then my, my friend, bless her heart, she was like, oh, could you get a picture? And I think he thought like with us. <laughs> <laughs> Burn! Burn! <laughs> I know where this is going. Yeah, she was like, of us. <laughs> and I was like, all right, that is bold. <laughs> so so we have a I photo. I was obsessed with your friend. That was the best thing Of ever. us and the baby. <laughs> photo credit to Aaron Paul, but not of Aaron Paul. <laughs> Oh my god! I I don't know if he was happy what? to be like oh for a normal day or just like embarrassed that maybe he interacted with people so long and that I mean she knew who he was. But well, I mean I'm sure because I mean when you're a celebrity you can 
tell when people know who you are, even when they're being normal. Like, because you're not looking at him like a totally normal person. You're talking to him like a totally normal person, but you're looking at him like he's Aaron Paul. Well, like any any other stranger, I'd be like, okay, yeah, please turn around. Stop talking to me about this baby. Like, go away. Exactly. But I'm giving you, like, a little bit more more freedom. So he knew. And I think he probably had a conversation with his wife in the car about that. Was like, you know what? That was pretty funny. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he appreciated it. Or didn't like it. I don't know. Uh, Did he look like he didn't like it? I mean, I don't mean to speak for him, but I have a feeling if I read into his mind... He probably he laughed. Probably would have appreciated that. <laughs> he laughed. I think he probably would have. Because it's laughed. like an anybody moment. Like you're walk, you're in, you're in L.A. and you're on a hike. Somebody's taking a photo. Like, can I take the photo for you? Like it's whatever well, totally, we ask. But it's like a totally normal thing. Yeah, I mean, like okay, I see somebody standing next to me. Would you mind taking a photo of us? Um, but I love that she asked Aaron Paul specifically. I know. And and we got back, and her husband was like, "Oh, did you ask him?" Like. About his, or no, he's like, so you should have said, like, I really loved you on The Price is Right. Because he won the, he he won the showcase back in the day. So I was like, are we just trying to, like, make him feel like he's not famous at all? I don't know. Maybe. I'm not sure. Maybe that's just, like, the vibe of, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> famous people are normal people, too. I don't know. I just was killing myself laughing. I'm just like, this is crazy for me. And this, she's like, cool. Yeah. It's very random. What a random experience. Of all people, too, it's just had to be Aaron Paul. Just so, he's so nice. He was so I, I kind to everyone and, like, the wait staff and everyone. He was just, like, so grateful. And he was so good with his daughter and his wife, like, really friendly. Like, such a nice family. So, it was it was a cool moment. But, yeah. We had Ojai for the weekend and wine tasting, Aaron Paul, and then we came back and three days until a four-day weekend. So looking forward to that. Ah, nice. Nice. Yeah. So um, I just finished this TV show. I posted on my Instagram stories the other day. Um, well, I don't know why I'm making it elusive. Uh, flea bag it has golden globes um or whatever it's nominated slash awarded for everything um i just started watching it last week and the first season was like it was good and it was funny enough for me to continue on to the second season have you seen it i don't want to spoil anything um the second season is incredible. What's the general? You must watch this TV show. What's like the general? I I don't know why I'm just now talking about it. Like the last season came out like, actually, I think last season came out maybe 2019 or 2020. So not that long ago, but it's still old news. So it's on Amazon Prime. Um, and basically like the general gist of the show um, follows this girl who kind of, like, is pretty destructive in her relationships, and she, like, sleeps around. Um, And, like, it's not, like, in a negative way whatsoever. It's really funny, um, and she's really funny, and she's really positive. But she also has a lot of um, uh, trauma to work through as well. She lost her best friend, um, who was her, like... um, co-founder of the cafe that they ran together so now 
basically her best friend is dead and she's running this cafe by herself and she is numbing herself almost with just whatever. Uh, but it's very funny. Uh, it's dark because of those situations, but it's very funny. Um, and then the second season is basically she kind of worked through a lot of that trauma in the first season. And then the second season, she's ready to love. Um, <laughs> and it is so heartbreaking. I don't want to spoil the end, but it is probably one of one of the best TV shows that I've watched in a way that I've never connected with so emotionally in a very long time where I have like a physical reaction to what's oh happening God, on yeah. TV. <laughs> like Nestor could hear me in the back, like just like freaking out about what was happening and then like freaking out even more learning that it was like the last episode ever because they're not coming back with the season three. Was, oh my God. They're not coming back with another season. So much emotion. And I understand because the the main actress in the show is the writer of the show. It's like her character she created. She's like, this is the story. I'm done with this story and this character. But I guess historically she said that before and then retracted it and brought things back. So I'm like crossing my fingers. But honestly, the true highlight of season two is Andrew Scott. And I don't, do you know who Andrew Scott is, the actor? Was he the guy that you just posted on your Instagram story? Oh my God, I'm so obsessed with him. And it's so stupid because, um, one, I am truly not obsessed with any sort of actor and I haven't been in a long time. Two, actually this is multiple reasons. Two, because he's never in anything. And three, the reason I fell in love with him was 10 years ago when I saw him in Sherlock on the BBC version. I know who this is, yes. I think it's truly his accent, but then also when you look at his face and then and then you look into his eyes and then everything's truly gone. Those dreamy, dark, brown, rich eyes. But it's not just like the eyes. It's when you watch him, like when he's acting, he's truly so emotionally touched to whatever is happening. Honestly, such an incredible act. Sherlock, yeah, okay, that's where I've seen him. He plays, yeah, he plays Moriarty in Sherlock. Oh my god, he's so good. I don't know what, I don't know what it is specifically about him. Maybe it's just like the nostalgia of it. Oh my god, so much background noise. Nestor is getting mad because I'm talking about some other man. (laughs) Throwing a fit. Get out of here. I'm just kidding. He looks really familiar, and I don't know if it's and the same guy. And he's not, like, conventionally attractive. He's not, like, world's most attractive man or anything like that. But I think it's the allure of him, and I think it's the mystery, and I think it's the depth, and I think it's uh, the accent. He looks like Mark Ruffalo. That's what I was trying to figure Ma- out. <laughs> See, I don't find Mark Ruffalo attractive whatsoever. What? He looks like Mark Ruffalo. I don't- <laughs> Show me the photo you're looking at. Mark Ruffalo and Zodiac. No. What are you... No, show me the photo... Of Andrew Scott you're looking at to compare him. This? See, I love that photo. It looks like... I do not see Mark Ruffalo whatsoever. Yes, let's, let's find And that's it. such a young photo of him, too. That's not even a recent photo because that was a photo that was out of him when he was in trouble. I know because I was fucking obsessed with this man for a while. They are the same person. They are not. Not even close. Are you kidding me? I do not. Oh, see, I'm just like falling into Andrew Scott's arms and Mark Ruffalo. I'm like, ew, you perv. Like, go away. 
I think maybe I just have like weird Mark Ruffalo vibes just in general for a lot of reasons. Okay, I don't know why. <laughs> One, I think his Twitter kind of annoys me a little bit. Like he's kind of just a little bit annoying on Twitter. He's like huge environmentalist, but also like like I don't like what have you done? Like show me your cred. Show me your cred and show me your paycheck to be able to complain. Okay. Maybe I can't say that. Maybe he has cred, but, like, how come I haven't heard about it? That's all I'm saying. I mean, and, like, don't come after me <laughs> because that's my logic. <laughs> and then number two, like, I don't know. The most incredible thing that he ever did was 13 going on 30. Mark Ruffalo? I just saw him talking. in Zodiac. I mean, Zodiac's just okay. Well, if you're a true crime aficionado, like... Well, if you're a true crime aficionado, you know, you would know that we already know who the Zodiac killer is, and he's just some guy named, like, Jeffers. They're all just some guy named Jeff. (laughs) So it's like the the mystery of that movie just falls... Like, I don't know, isn't Jake Gyllenhaal in that movie, too? Yeah. Wait, we're not supposed to like Jake Gyllenhaal right now. What? Because Taylor Swift. Oh, Yeah. I knew that. That's really upsetting. That's a great song. I, this is going to truly divide my entire following. Oh, no. This is truly going to divide me from the entire internet. I really don't care for Taylor Swift. Full stop? Full stop. I don't. And you know what? I try. And here's, here's, here's the proof that I try. I've seen her in concert multiple times. I've listened to pretty much every single album. There are songs of Taylor Swift's that I like. As an artist, I don't care for her. I hate more of her songs than I like. Or maybe not hate. I do hate some of them. But there are, for most of the time, I listen to her music. I don't connect. I feel, I skip. Oops. I moved my mic. I was very passionate about that. I'm like, ugh, I, I can't listen skip to this. with all my skip, heart. skip. skip. It doesn't. It doesn't resonate with my musical soul. Um, I've seen her live maybe three times or two times. Um, the last time I saw her live was here in LA um, at the at the Hollywood Bowl. So pretty recently. Yeah. Um, and she does put on a good performance, but is it the best performance I've ever seen from a live artist? No. Um. Truly, Lizzo came before her, and Lizzo fucking brought down the house. So, all in all, I feel like Taylor Swift has more of a cult than she does anything else. And I don't mean that in a negative way whatsoever. My mom... following, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I literally had a screenshot of my mom who sent a group text to the whole family today, who was like, listen to this 10-minute version of Taylor, blah, 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 hard eyes, blah, 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 like... My mom is obsessed with her. My sister's obsessed with her. My bro- little brother is obsessed with her. And I really tried, but I just get more and more irritated because I just can't get into it. Speaking of your mom. Yes, she was on the podcast. Or yeah. she is here on the podcast in this episode. Then and now. Yeah. Yes. We just had that interview. That was really fun. Yeah. I'm, I think it was such a cool uh, conversation. I learned so much from her. About the experience, about, I think, psychedelic therapies themselves, the fact that it's a therapy. Has it expanded your mind? Oh, yeah. 100%. 
like I said before, very nervous, nervous energy, don't know what it's like to be out of control, don't know what it's like on the other side, outside the box as we get into it. And I think just knowing that, you know, there are people who have gone through it successfully and have had such amazing experiences like she describes. And, and you know, she gets into some details about how you can do it more safely and, and feel more secure in your experience, which is really comforting. So where do you want to go following that conversation? Like, what do you feel like your inclination is to do next? Like, do you feel one way or another um, about having, like, more conversations, doing more research, or looking into, like, yeah, tell me about where your mind goes after that conversation. I I think that in a couple of different ways, like, I think I'm definitely inclined to want to do more research that's just who I am like I would love to know a bit more about like the biochemical process behind that and what exactly these therapeutics are doing and what kind of research has been successful you know I did a little bit of research before this um but you know I feel like I've got a bit more direction now yeah and I think sorry no that's okay (laughs) I think uh excited about like what you said when the time is right you'll just kind of know that the experience is there for you and you can yeah and like what my mom said like when when you're open to whatever when you're open to receive like the spirit will bring it yeah and that was a really fun conversation also got like tiny bit emotional I don't know if you could tell uh maybe in person but hopefully not like on the mic I tried to be like there's nothing wrong with Very that. Professional. This is my first interview. Yeah, but also like <laughs> with my mom and I, if either of us see each other cry, we both start just like bawling, and we can't, we can't. We're like, 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 and I, we, we, we made eye contact, and we're like, we're not crying right now because <laughs> we're both gonna, there we're gonna tear down. <laughs> I was like, there's something going on. Yep, there's a moment here. Yeah, that was really cool. And I'm glad that you were kind of here to experience that too, Um, especially because it was um, me learning information for the first time, Uh, at least like maybe not like public information, but like information that like I could put pieces together of like, oh, this is what you went through and this all makes sense now. Um, Sounds like you got kind of like a small missing puzzle piece tonight. Yeah, and it's not necessarily that I knew that that missing piece was there, and it's not necessarily that I was looking for it, but it was like, oh, that's that's really wonderful. It was like that piece appeared, and it, it was there the whole time, and I just noticed it kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, well, should we? Yeah, let's get into the episode. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so um, yeah, for a more formal introduction, this is us talking with my mom, Casey Rollins. Um, who is studying psychedelic uh, therapy. Um, She is a therapist, um, but she's studying specifically psychedelic therapy. And um, we just had a really cool conversation about psychedelics in general. Um, And Ashley kind of shined a really bright light on the medical field perspective as well, which is really interesting for me specifically. Um, So yeah, I hope you guys really enjoy this conversation. Yeah, and I just want to say, if you're concerned or have questions about getting into any kind of therapy or drug, always check with a medical professional who knows you well before you do so. 
Yeah. Oh, always and obviously, I guess I should reiterate this because sometimes the internet forgets, um, but we are not professionals. Um, This is just a conversation for you guys to listen on. Um, At least Ashley and I are not specifically psychology um, and um, psychedelic uh, professionals. Um, So just keep that in mind. And also, um, we would love to include every perspective Um, But we only have so much time and um, we only have so much um, to process in that moment. So uh, just keep in mind that this is a sliver of a conversation of this topic. But um, if you want to hear more, if you have more questions, you can always send them to us and we can dive deeper. Yeah. So thanks for listening. All right. We'll kick it off. I wish we had bongos just on the fly to pull out, like, here in person. Hello. Is somebody yelling at you? Yeah, in my bag. Which one? I can't tell. Tell Orange and white. Is it Fat Boy Kevin? Fat Boy Kevin. I love him so much. He might come home with me. Well, (laughs) my mom is going to... Oh, my gosh, I love him so much. He's so cute, isn't he? He's adorable. He is, like, the prize pig. He is a fair. <laughs> He's a prize pig at the fair. Mm-hmm. He's a blue ribbon pig right you there. You are. I You're love so him so pretty. much. Hello. You're One like of way my... bigger than he used to be. I know. I just, you know what? Buster used to be the big one. Buster yeah. used to be the fattest one. Okay. And then literally out of nowhere, we were like, um, this cat is so big. Kevin Why has... is he 10 times bigger than anyone? <laughs> He's expanded. And then Esther wanted to name him Kevin. <laughs> and then the fat boy... Had to roll with it. <laughs> just so big. <laughs> Not so big. Oh my but god. But with he's full of love. Look at Clearly. I kind of hope the mic picks up some of this cat walking across. I think kind of cute. Adorable. I think so. He's so cute. Buzzball. Yeah. There it's it's a it, it's a no loss for you mom. If you want to give up on Kevin at any time, you know you can drop him off here and we can find him a new home. That's true. If you need to, if might have to take a couple, a half dozen, take them. Honestly, you take them off my hands for a couple weeks. Still, that helps. I know. That's kind of nice. I'll miss them probably, but that's why I have my Buster and my George. They're so cuddly. I love them. They are so cuddly. They just stare into your eyes with love. It's so cute, and it breaks your heart. Especially George, I feel like. It's just Buster, always... especially, honestly, yeah. George George is starting to get this, like, cocky confidence of, I know I'm the favorite. <laughs> so he kind of is just like, okay, mom, I'm done cuddling. Like, bye. Goodbye. And, you know, when everybody's asleep, then he's like, oh, I'm so cute and I'm so cuddly. <laughs> but Buster is 24-7 just the sweetest. Aww. Like, he was on my feet just earlier walking around. And he also likes to climb up my pants. Which is hilarious. Oh I my think God. they were climbing up your pants yes, earlier, Mom. Mm-hmm. You need the closed ankle pants. Like, you need tight ankles. No, well, they'll climb up the jeans. It oh, on the outside, not on the inside. It's on, yeah, it's like your leg is the tree. And they're climbing <laughs> oh up. Oh, my God. Really they're just funny. trying to get closer to you. Yeah. Oh. Well, should we get nice. into it? Yeah. Cool. So, we are talking second. Psychedelic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like someone has to say groovy. I feel like we have to plug in like some weird audio, some trending <laughs> like some like super cool. Let's go. What do you 
What is that one? Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah, let's go. Something like let's that. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Does it work? Is it working? Something like that. Yeah, okay. Um, the, yeah, so we have our very first guest ever um, on this uh, Coconut Grove podcast. Mm-hmm. This is, introduce yourself, please. The. I am Casey Rollins. Ooh. Ooh, this is the Casey, Casey Rollins. Rollins. That's right. That Casey Rollins. <laughs> Ooh. So uh, tell us who you are. Tell us about yourself. Well, I am an aspiring psychedelic psychotherapist. I am absolutely in love with the whole idea of being able to heal people using psychedelic drugs mm. and introducing people to an entirely different way of viewing themselves and life after the psychedelic experience and this comes from my own personal experience and I just wanted to share that and I wanted to be a therapist because I wanted to legitimize the whole process. I love I went through this whole journey with a shaman and it was beautiful and it was amazing but I believe that if we can um, bring it to mainstream that more people will be Mm -hmm. able to be helped. Beautiful. Honestly that resonates yeah, as yeah. I think that's that's a big hurdle right now for the therapies, at least from what I've been reading. And so I'm really excited to ask you all my questions. So yeah, welcome. So well, this conversation is <laughs> going to be especially cool, too, because I feel like we have three levels of experience here. Mm-hmm. Um, Ashley has most interest, least experience. Absolutely. Um, and then I'm kind of in that in between. I've dabbled here and there with a couple of psychedelics and I have some interest. And then um, my mom here um, probably has the I'm most little, research I have, I have research i have you know book knowledge and, and passion and mm. passion for sure which i think is I the coolest part it. absolutely mm-hmm. yeah because yeah. i mean i think this is a really timely conversation um because i think we're seeing it everywhere i i sent ashley i think a couple weeks ago a podcast episode about I psychedelics i was like oh they're doing it too like everybody's having this conversation and it's becoming mainstream which is really interesting, but also like really timely. I think uh, we were having like a conversation earlier in the house of just like um, this wave of uh, revolution kind of happening before our eyes. And I think uh, psychedelics, I think plays into that a little bit. I think it plays into it a lot on two different levels. On one, you have the ability to cure a lot of mental illness and and to take and to take psychology to a next level. I really do believe that psychedelics is going to be revolutionizing for the whole, um, for therapy, for for psychology in general. Mm -hmm. And then I think on a a human level, Mm -hmm. that the more people who are awakened in this way and become, you know, have their ego dissolution just a little bit, it changes them. And it be, uh, to me, they become a, a, a more humane person. Mm. They're more in touch with themselves, with others, and with the earth. And I think that's a better human being, and I think that's where we need to be going in, in general. Yeah, I feel like psychedelics connects you to a spirituality you've never known before, but feel, I guess, at least in my experience. It's like 
it just is like there's no explanation it just is <laughs> and you are it just like, is and you are yeah <laughs> that's, that's exactly like what it sounded like from your experience when you talked to me about I don't know what you were using but you said it yeah, was LSD, so yeah, yeah you were so connected to everything you were seeing everything you were hearing everything you were feeling like it was such an empowering and engaging experience I don't know just yeah. even listening to you tell me about it was like such a detailed experience even secondhand so I can't even imagine yeah like what you were going through I don't know yeah it's just so wild I think the psychedelics me. that my mom and I have done are different in some ways too because yeah. I've, I've only done LSD and I know that my mom has done mushrooms um and I don't know if you've experienced with any other types of psychedelics um, mushrooms and LSD and and ketamine and and MDMA. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Are the um, experiences, this is pure, pure interest, are they different? Are they all the same? Oh, no, or what totally are they like? Different. Every totally. single time is totally yeah. different. Really? And, and set and setting matters. So, you know, if you're doing mushrooms with a shaman in the woods, mm-hmm. it's definitely not going to be the same thing as doing mushrooms at a rave. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. not going to be the same. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I've done LSD three or four times. Um... Yeah, I, I went into it knowing that I needed to be in a positive mindset, just um, having never done anything like that before. Um, and yeah, I had a really positive experience. I don't think uh, we did too much. Um, I was in a really positive place. Um, and yeah, I stayed inside for the most part for that first time, just because it was such a a new experience for your body and for everything like that. Also, if there is like scattering in the microphone, those are the cats, (laughs) um, actual proof that there are cats in the house. Um, yeah. And I think it was like that last hour or two of the effects that I actually went outside. And that was like, that was crazy. Cause like from the inside, you could see the trees moving around and stuff like that. But when you're outside walking in it, and I think that's something that I would want to experience more, um, kind of going into that journey of psychedelics, is just kind of like being in nature, because that's the coolest part. Um, Everything like literally breathes in a way that it doesn't look like Alice in Wonderland breathing, but like you can also tell where it got its influence in Alice in Wonderland. Um, Everything is just alive and you're part of it and you just get to experience it. And I think that's what's really cool. But I also agree, it's a, it's a setting, like what you were saying, um, and, and the mindset. I think those are really important. Because um, I don't think, I've never been in an experience where I've had a negative mindset, but I've seen it happen. Mm-hmm. Or I've seen like a panic. Um, or I've heard stories of like panics that happen. Does that happen? Like, do you know, does that happen if someone goes in with like a negative mindset or a little bit of like a worried panic to begin with? Does it get heightened or... Is it just something that happens by chance? When doing psychedelic psychotherapy, they definitely would pre, pre, preset everything. So you have a particular location that you're going to be in, uh, a, a wonderful little room that's got a couch, it's got nice lighting. So it's it, and then you have your therapist there that's you know holding your hand through all of this. You're listening to. Um, classical music you have eye shades on so it's like the the mindset is you're going in to do some healing you're going to work on some issues and the setting is that you're in a safe place and you're with safe people so these are the conditions 
that make sure that you are less likely to have a bad trip. And then they have precautions so that if you were to have a bad trip and you wanted to stop it, that they could give you an injection of something and make it stop. Okay. Versus if you were just with your friends and you're out at the beach and you just took a bunch of <laughs> mushrooms and they're like, well, damn, now you're just in it, right? <laughs> Ride that wave. You're going to do some ayahuasca, which I've done mm. ayahuasca also. You, you know, you, you're just in it and you just have to ride that. And it may be good. It may be not good. But there's always going to be um, something to learn from the experience no matter what happens. Yeah. Do you think I, do you think it's valuable to have both a social experience and like a more like inward spiritual experience? Or do you think it, inward is better just overall? Like, do you think there is any benefit in having some social experience with that with these drugs? I think the benefits are that um, you know what to expect and maybe mm-hmm. there's less apprehension to it. Um, the there's, there's downfalls to it, but personally I don't see tons of it because psychedelics are not addictive. And I mean, it's not like you crave getting that kind of uh, experience, you know, next week, let's go do that again next weekend. No, not really. Cause it's so intense. It's, it's such a, a deeply profound experience. All, for a lot of people, it's a one and done. Oh, done it. Yeah, okay. True. Healed. I'm done now. Wow. Uh, for real. To just like rid your ego like that. Goals. <laughs> okay. So I need a little extra help. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm like, okay, so uh, are you accepting <laughs> new patients? So the beauty of, of using it for, say, depression mm-hmm. is that a one and done usually works on a patient um, for several months at a time. Mm. Several months at a time versus something that you have to take an antidepressant on a daily basis. Mm. So I'm excited that the science is there, that they're researching it, and that they are going to have FDA approval soon so that this is another option. Because basically the problem is is that our mental health right now, the, the, the state of our mental health is so far behind for all of the technologies that medical has made and our mental health is like in the dark ages still. So we really do need to catch up. And when they banned these substances back in the in the 70s, it really put us behind on being able to see how these substances affect the mind. <laughs> they banned be- them and at the same time we're doing experiments in the CIA to see what how yes, they, they could were. fuck people up. Because yes, they, <laughs> they knew the power of these drugs. Exactly. I actually pulled up an article that was published in Nature this year and um, they're saying exactly that, that there needs to be wider acceptance for the utilization of psychedelic therapies. And they said right there at the beginning, unfortunately it was banned in the 1970s because they were ruled to have no currently acceptable medical use and a high potential for abuse. Okay. Schedule one. So yeah, that's, that's why we don't say. Yeah. That's yeah. why there's been very limited research on it. And the pioneers who are doing the work right now at Johns Hopkins and UCLA and Imperial College of London, they are really pioneering some break breakthrough work mm-hmm. and it's it's getting the FDA approval because it works because we're in a crisis. Mm-hmm. We are in a mental health crisis mm-hmm. in our country and in the world. We need some help. Things are not working. <laughs> <laughs> 
clearly. Yeah. It just took actually, a world pandemic to kind of bring that to exactly. the forefront. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. And I, I, I'm sure that you have that exact experience seeing it firsthand, uh, working in the medical field, mm-hmm. um, experiencing also firsthand with somebody uh, with anxiety as well. Mm-hmm. They talk about a lot. Um, so yeah, like how do you how do you see that like mental health crisis kind of working in, in inside the medical field? Because uh, mom is working on it, I'm completely outside of it, but we're, we're all aware that this is happening. So how, how does how are you guys responding to that? I mean, that's a really good question. I think I find myself in a very specific niche of genetics, and we actually just had a case today, which was really interesting. Uh, family history, strong family history of mental health conditions on both sides of the family, and just trying to you know, go through that and figure out, is there any kind of genetic testing we can offer? Is there any strong genetic component? Because that's the role I play in this right now. And, uh, you know, the family went home. We, we've kind of made a plan. But I discussed with my direct boss. She's a geneticist. And she's like, you know, there's really no good testing. There's still so much research to be done to figure out what little genetic factors and environmental factors act as triggers to give people these different conditions like anxiety, depression, ADHD, OCD. They all are linked and they all occur in in, in families and groups and clusters. And that that's research that I'm hoping to get into over the next few years in my field. And as I develop my profession, So that's the role I think that I'm playing right now is kind of investigating that. We're um, expanding a neurology genetics clinic and we're going to start seeing people with mental health conditions and try to map the genetics behind that. But I think that the healthcare field really does a so-so job overall. I think they're really good at um, finding and pointing out problems and acutely responding to them but not necessarily trying to solve them and not necessarily not necessarily trying to solve the root of any of the issues or yeah. factors that I think come that's along an entire with them. flaw of our of basically any issue that we encounter in the world right now I think that we're encountering that. We're that very flaw. acute. We're yeah. very acute. Mm-hmm. Like there's a problem right in front of us. We can't drive our car around, so what can we do quickly to get it off the road, you yeah. know? And it's not looking at all of these other issues that go along with it. So hopefully the cats aren't making too much noise. I'm like, ugh. It's Buster too, little naughty boy. It's Buster and and Fatboy Kevin. We told them how cute they were and they were like, I'm cuter, I'm cuter. It's time to party. Don't have a serious conversation. Look at us. (laughs) So I think unfortunately our our healthcare system is just designed to medicate and not provide the therapies and treatments that will long-term impact patients who are suffering and look at their families and pull out people who might have a less severe presentation who could benefit from earlier interventions. Or, you know, I I think that's hard because it's a medical uh, model of care, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not looking at someone as a whole person. It's saying, you know, this anxiety you have is making it hard for you to function at work. So if you take your medication, you'll be able to focus. And it's not like, okay, but why is this person anxious? What have they been through? What other things would support them? 100%. It's all, it's yeah. all to, for you to participate in the machine, essentially. Yeah. Exactly. Like, okay, she's up and running, so we can leave her be. Yeah. You know, and exactly like you said, Casey, like you take one pill a day and you function, but is that a, a therapy? Like, is that the best approach? Or is, is there more of a long-term thing we can be doing where 
you can go a few months, you can start transitioning into a healthier mindset. You can actually like change the chemistry in your brain potentially. Yeah. That's something that I'm looking to do this January. I was telling you about that, Ashley, last time we were talking, um, I was looking into mind bloom at possible ketamine therapy. So mom, you've done ketamine, you said? I have, but not in the therapy setting. Ooh. <laughs> okay. All right. Not in the therapy setting. Hey, but, but that's what this but, podcast but is great for. About it. I do know about it. And and I, I really applaud the what they're doing with, with ketamine. It is a Schedule two drug versus, um, you know, MDMA or psilocybin or Schedule one. And, um, but, but still the research isn't there, which is really depressing Yeah, because we really do need a lot more research in there to really prove that these therapies work. But from what I know, I'm really excited about what ketamine can do because ketamine can get people off of being addicted to, to, um, addicted to all kinds of things. And ketamine is also pretty good for depression. Um. I, I watched a really amazing uh, session of, of you know, a, a patient therapy session in it. And I was amazed. I was like, oh, this is exactly, exactly what I want to do. It was amazing. Who um, was the, who was the therapy session with? Or who um, was? No, I, I, I don't know. Oh. It was just, you know, it was just a, 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 a fellow who had an addiction. And, and then the two therapists that were helping him with it. And I thought it was amazing because it was very directed because the psilocybin um, therapies is very self-directed. Yeah. Whereas you, you, you go inside and you do your own healing. Whereas the ketamine was a lot more hands-on. They were definitely helping him to redirect his thoughts and feelings. They were definitely pointing him in the right direction and helping him to overcome his addictions and to, and to you know, build himself stronger. Which is the amazing part about doing psychedelic psychotherapy is that you have someone after you're done doing your trip to help you to deconstruct it, make sense of it, and help you to integrate it. Because that's the most important thing. It's like you can have a really great trip, but if you don't integrate yeah, what you have gone through, then it's just empty, right? It's like, oh, that was a fun experience, and now it doesn't mean anything. Mm. But if you integrate the experience, then you bring that godlike experience, you know, all of these ahas, and then you live it. And and that's what a therapist helps you to do. Yeah, that's so cool. So is that like um, basically accessing like CBD, CBT, like a behavioral therapy you know, tool? I think that's what they were doing yeah. when I was watching the, yeah. them work with ketamine. They were definitely doing CBT type Yeah. Stuff. And that is so hard to do when you are struggling with something, you know? So I feel like having that experience to get you into that, to allow you to access some of those internal resources that you have could really reduce some of the barriers to doing your therapy, actually changing behaviors, changing thoughts. Like I can see it being incredibly helpful. The really cool thing about the psychedelics is that on the brain, they work on a specific area called the default mode network. And this is your, 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 your baseline, your go-to. And whatever kind of traumas that you experienced in life, whatever kind of you know, terrible patterns that you have, 
this is your default. This is how you are, right? So if you're depressed, this is your default depressed person, right? Well, when someone takes psychedelics, they've, they've done the brain scans to show that the default network basically shuts down. It quiets. Mm. It quiets in the brain. And then a bunch of other networks in the brain light up. And so different parts of the brain are finally talking to each other in a different way. And so in this way, this is where people would say that maybe they are creating new neural networks, new connections and things like that. Because this part of the brain and this part of the brain have never really talked before because usually the default mode network is like this gatekeeper and he's saying, no, 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 we're not going to talk. You're not allowed to talk. This is how it is. And it's that it's, it's also the ego. And mm -hmm. so the ego and the default network and your traumas are all intertwined. Mm. And psychedelics shuts that stuff down for a little while. Your brain gets to talk in a different way. And then when you're done, you get to interpret the world. You have new perceptions of everything. New perceptions, new perspectives. Do you know if that, that ego and that, that loop is a little quieter post-trip? No still there but you know what it looks like yeah. and so then now you can cultivate it so then now you can meditate and know where to go that makes a lot of sense yeah i wow. i know there's like always a lot of talk around uh what they call ego death with psychedelics and i know it's like it it, it kind of sounds like oh that's so easy you can just take psychedelics and your ego is gone but it doesn't it, no it definitely doesn't work like that um, it, it, it takes a lot of identifying, um, and also like reflecting back on the trip too, of how you felt, what you were experiencing. Um, and yeah, like how you can relate those feelings into the feelings of, um, on just any regular Monday or Tuesday. Right. Um, and then being able to like notice where the voices differentiate. And I think mm -hmm. that helps, um, identify what the ego looks like. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. it's it's how you it it's how effortlessly you feel on psychedelics and how sometimes you kind of have to feel like you chase in regular life i don't know if that makes sense <laughs> to anybody yeah. anybody who's not taking psychedelics <laughs> i'm like speaking this like oh yeah man you just take psychedelics <laughs> and you feel man like but i mean there's a reason that's like kind of a stereotype because like uh, once you feel and you know, like it makes a lot of sense. You can joke about it in those ways, but there's a reason there's that story time. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it does make sense. I actually, I there's this show I think on like Hulu or Netflix, and it talks about people's first experiences on acid, or uh, specifically, um, these are like celebrities. And the coolest part about this show, I think you guys should both watch it. I'll try and find the the name of the show. But the coolest part is it's all illustrated at the same time. So they're describing their experience on acid, but then it's all being illustrated before you. And uh, it's a bunch of comedians and celebrities. Um, so you've got like Mark Maron and Sarah Silverman I telling their it. experiences. It's so fun. It's really cool. That's cool. But yeah, I love, we'll plug I love it. hearing those kinds of things too, because it's like, um, yeah, it's like a lot of people use these drugs more than you think that they do. Uh, and also calling them drugs, I also feel like is probably too strong a word, but also, I don't know. How do you guys feel about calling psychedelics drugs? Because they are drugs, but... It definitely has the cultural baggage to it. Yeah, right? it does. Yeah. 
something like that. Ooh, that's what did a... you call them? Athenogens? Athenogens? I might be saying it wrong. <laughs> Oh, but know. that's a cool word. If that, I like if that's that word better. It has less baggage I, to it. Yeah. I don't know. I feel I like, again, my brain is in that like medical mindset. I was just like, okay, before I come over here, so what does it do in the brain? And I was just like, okay, it affects some kind of serotonin uh, receptor, right? So mm-hmm. it, everything is a drug. Like, it, Well, yeah, exactly. It's like once we talk serotonin, then we can talk anything. Like uh, cake spikes your serotonin yeah like so does so my does medication that. like what are like, like which one is doing what like precisely yeah so drugs is fine whatever we want to call it totally fine but i do i i can sort of agree that like psychedelics are their own little world they're not they're not meth it's it's not no it's not scary like math might it, be. It can't. And I think it is for a lot of people because they do put those in the same category. Oh, gosh. A lot of people put those in the same category. Well, and thank you, the government. For yeah, exactly. Making them a schedule one drug, which they're not. Yeah. You know, schedule one says there's no medical benefits and there's definitely medical benefits from this. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we're just taught, you know, we believe what whatever we're taught. So yeah. this is what we grow up knowing. This is what lots of parents told their kids over the years you know drugs are bad oh, here's and... a good question for everybody when did your perspective change so i'm sure we all uh i had some maybe sort of negative uh which one purred which one was that that's fat is that fat fat Kevin. Boy Kevin. He wants attention. <laughs> he's in my purse they <laughs> think it's really comfortable <laughs> hey um yeah so i'd like to know maybe like when did your perspective maybe shift from disinterest to curiosity maybe that's like a, a better way to frame it oh is there anything specific like any specific media that that you saw or anybody's specific experience that kind of maybe piqued your interest more or has there always been this like pending curiosity of like oh psychedelics kind of seem cool i think there's always been a pending curiosity i mean there there was one time where i was at a party and i left and i went home and i found out later they all did mushrooms and i was like Uh, but i just left (laughs) (laughs) okay and and i feel like this has happened like maybe twice I've missed and didn't know and I don't know why I was just like guys and so maybe just that building on top of just hearing friends experiences and then hearing your experience too like when I moved to LA and I just had this like fresh restart to my life and I was hearing good experiences about it and so maybe the curiosity sort of transferred to like I gotta learn about this like maybe I should try but yeah in all honesty I'm like a little nervous because I do have anxiety and I don't know what it feels like. And I'm one of those people who's just like, if I can't predict, I don't know if I'll be okay. I'm, yeah. I'm a very like chill on the outside, but very stressed on the inside kind of person. So curiosity, like you said, very, very high. Willingness, moderate, yeah. nervous energy is It's what also I probably have. the specific psychedelic because yeah. like we were saying earlier, it's not like a one size fits all. That's true. Yeah, like in the therapeutic setting, I think I would be very interested. In the social setting, I'm like, please, someone help me. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> so yeah. that might be where my hesitation is. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So. For me, um, it was 2016, and I had done a whole lot of spirituality type things. And 
I was taking a class and he was a scientist and he kept giving us these little forms to fill out. One of the questions was, have you ever done psychedelics? And I was like, what does this have anything to do with spirituality? <laughs> and I took his class again. So it was like two times. And I, the question was there again. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I need to find out what does psychedelics have to do with spirituality? And so I started researching. And then that's when I found out about the Johns Hopkins studies. And I tried to get enrolled in it because I was really wanting to do it legitimately, right? Living in, in a place where it wasn't legal. Okay, mm -hmm. so let's le do it legitimately and let's sign up for a study. And um, and they were looking for medita long-term meditators. And I was a long-term meditator, but apparently I wasn't, you know, like enrolled in like a Buddhist colony. So, it was oh. Like, oh, well, oh, so you had to be man, very like on. elevated You're here. A recreational like, meditator. A recreational right, meditator. Exactly, right? So, <laughs> like, okay, fine. So Cut. I ended up finding... <laughs> I ended up finding my own shaman friend and and had the experience. Um, but it was because the curiosity of how was psychedelics and spirituality related. And when I started down that rabbit hole, then I found out about ayahuasca and I found out about the history of human beings using psychedelics and why they use them. And I was just like on that path. And so I found the psychedelic psychotherapy in Canada in 2016 also. And when I went there and I walked into the room, to me, I was I was like deeply enmeshed in all things spirituality. So to me, like I could feel the energy in the room. And when I walked into that room, it was like, oh my God, they're all vibrating at the same level as Edgar Chile. I'm like, ah, I found my people. This is what I want to do. What are you guys doing? I want to do it. Here. Yeah. I love that. I, I understand that feeling. Yeah. yeah. From other experiences, but that is a pretty powerful feeling to make you go forward with something you know mm -hmm. vibrating so at the same was, energy so i had to figure out like how do i what are you guys doing yeah i want to do it i want to be a part of it so that really pushed me on one you know doing you know enjoy doing doing the psychedelics with a with a shaman with intention with purpose and um doing that with ayahuasca also and those two very, very profound experiences pushed me on the path to becoming a therapist. Mm. I love that. And I think with that, uh, let's take a quick little break and then we'll move on to part three where we ask questions because now I just have so many. Okay, break time. I had a question basically from that last conversation we had that I've been hanging on to. And I want to know mom about your ayahuasca experience, because, um, that I feel like is, is an experience that's specific to location more than anything, because from what I understand, ayahuasca is also the same thing as DMT, but ayahuasca is, uh, a more full experience. Do I have that correct understanding? I believe ayahuasca has DMT in it. But if you were to do a direct DMT experience, it's entirely different than ayahuasca. Mm, okay. Hmm. So, Which makes probably more sense for it to be a whole experience because I think DMT is only like 15 minutes or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Where ayahuasca is more of a, I don't know, three, four, five hours, something like mm, that. Really? Interesting. And so where did you go? Where did, how was your experience? Tell us about that. Uh, it was with a shaman in Seattle and he was a, uh, 
a beautiful soul who had traveled down to Peru many, many times so that he could learn everything that he needed to know. And then he brought that back home and then he built himself um, a little community in his backyard and it was beautiful. It was just amazing. And so he brought the entire experience of what I would have experienced in Peru, along with the, the songs, along with the ceremony, along with the ritual. So it was, it was, a, it was a very beautiful experience. Um, I don't think I would have, it would have been even better had I gone to Peru because there was the safety of being home. Mm -hmm. Oh, I like that. It, it was yeah. really good. Um, the ayahuasca experience for me was not as powerful as as the um, mushrooms was. Mm. And maybe that was because I had done the mushrooms and I was like, and I had done a really large dose of it. So I was like, oh, it, ayahuasca, I'm going to do just a little bit this time. <laughs> did, you, did you start with mushrooms or start with ayahuasca? Which one came first? Mushrooms was the first. Oh, okay. So you already had a comparative experience. I did, yeah. And so, But I wanted to do ayahuasca. I, I wanted to have that very natural experience. And it was beautiful. I, I loved it. I loved every bit of it. Um, I, I don't think it was, for me, as powerful. But for other people, it really is. It is It is like the healing experience. And it's compounding also. So when you do ayahuasca, you usually do three, four, five days worth of uh -huh. it. And right. then each experience builds on the next. So for me, it was a one and done. Um, so... I don't think my experience with ayahuasca really shows what the powerfulness of the medicine. Yeah, that makes sense. Do people do those days back to back or do they come back at another time? No, it's back to yeah. back. It's so like a it's whole, that's, that's the why other. they call it like a, a mm -hmm. trip. It's not like just like a, like a, a one sitting trip. It's, it's like, not a day it's trip. It's a trip. <laughs> <laughs> it's a week trip. Yeah. Yeah, it's usually okay. a three to five yeah. days while wow. doing it. Mm -hmm. And when you did it, did you do with others like I hear sometimes that people go and they have groups and they have like ceremonies together or was yours just you and the shaman it was a ceremony and there was about six others wow. along with the shaman and his wife oh wow and it and there was there was you know ceremony there was music it was an amazing experience just all on its own it was just so beautiful I loved it yeah I wonder if it's even more powerful with others there and like instead of just doing it alone, I wonder if there's yeah, power in imagine, that group. I can't even imagine doing ayahuasca yeah. by yourself because mm. it is it there's such tradition around it. Mm. So you you're calling in spirit and and you're bringing in ancestors, you know, and and the medicine itself has such connection to Peru and the people that that um do that type of ceremony and medicine. I just can't even imagine that it would be the same if you just were to just drink a cup of it. No, it would, it would not. It would not. <laughs> no, setting, setting matters, and and especially doing ayahuasca. Mm. Uh, so, what was your first psychedelic experience like? Because because uh, ayahuasca was not your first. So, no, what was your first? It, it was mushrooms, and I had found a shaman in Seattle. And he was an amazing, beautiful human being, um, a different shaman. And he had also gone down to Peru and, and spent several years learning the tradition, brought it back home. And he was just so kind and so beautiful. So I felt really safe. Mm -hmm. And we had done this experience in a park 
and and it was in nature it was a huge park and for me the experience was just like like i had always wanted to experience this type of of thing to be able to see something different to feel something different it's like what is this all about you know just super curious what is this all about and and my you know it was it was life changing it was life changing for me to be able to perceive reality a little bit differently to be able to see like the craziest things like you know geom geometric patterns in the sky or to close your eyes and to see geometry when you're listening to music mm -hmm. it it just changed things so dramatically in my brain that for me the experiences of of doing mushrooms and doing ayahuasca and being on the spiritual path for so long, it was ego shattering. It was like, there's no way you can't be your authentic self anymore because it was all shattered away. It was all just taken away. And it was like, you need to be your authentic self. And it was, it was so easy after that. Hmm. There, there was so much resistance to being my authentic self before, but after that experience, it just, everything dissolved. And it was just like, this is who you are, and you're going to live that life. And you are living that life. I am living that life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You are living that exact experience. And um, that's something that Nestor always talks about with you. He just really admires that, that you are you fully. It's really cool. So just know that other people recognize that who are maybe not in your like immediate inner circle, that you do radiate you. And uh, it's really cool that mushroom sparked that experience it was amazing that and that's why i wanted to be a psychedelic psychotherapist because i wanted to be able to help others to unlock their potential self not be stuck in a box that society has told you that this is how mm. you have to live yeah, I'm over that. I'm over, <laughs> I'm over people Guilty. telling everybody what to do. Let's just all be us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very reflective. Um, yeah, Ashley, I know you have a couple of questions. I'm kind of like feeling feeling that one out. Well, yeah, I know that. That <laughs> hits hard because I'm like, mm-hmm. Yep, living in the box that society prescribed. I mean, I just, I have lots of questions on this sheet here, but I'm wondering, you know, did you go in knowing that there was something that could be on the other side? Like, was there something you were trying to overcome, quote unquote, or was it just like, hey, this could be really helpful. This could be a really interesting experience. I've always wanted to know what it's like. And then it was a surprise that it was so therapeutic and beneficial for you. I think for me, I was on the spiritual journey for so long that it was more a quest to unlock all of those questions. As like I had been a meditator, I had been, um, you know, a long time practice, practiced um, just being, right? Mm -hmm. So I was just really trying to be in that zone. Mm -hmm. And then when I found out that maybe you could um, skip a couple steps by doing psychedelics. Okay. But there was always to me, there was always that little bit of uh, a fear in the background of when you do spiritual work and when you do psychedelics, 
that things might change. Like you might be your authentic self. And what happens if you become your authentic self? What if you do the thing that you've always wanted to do? What if you be who you really are? What is that going to do to your life? So there was a lot of fear about letting go of what was. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people can feel that, you know. Or, I mean, maybe not have even identified that. I feel like that's a that's a hard change to call on yourself for, too. Um, any sort of awakening in yourself is really tough. Well, this is basically self-actualization it seems to me is what you're describing you know you're already happy with who you are but there's a, a a goal that you're working towards you want more you're doing the meditative work the spiritual work and this was like kind of inching forward to that peak of the pyramid where i don't know what the psychologist's name is escapes me but something like that yes <laughs> you know like the self-actualization pyramid mm -hmm. where you're just yep. looking for more there's no real yeah. reason but it's trying to be your true and best authentic self mm -hmm. so and and a lot of the spiritual uh, books that i would be reading would talk about how if you go down this path your life might change mm -hmm. you know so so there's there's that little bit of I don't know. I want to hold on to this comfy, life, right? Comfy, it's comfortable. This little yeah. box is fine. It's what's, so what's, hard this to box change is until wonderful. it's happened. <laughs> right? But then yeah. when you break out of the box and you're like, oh, oh, what God. the hell was I worried about? This is great. <laughs> this bo the yeah. box is a trap. But yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. I have another question. So earlier you were, you, you brought up the fact that you have two shamans on on call basically so where is this 1-800 shaman that you're no, calling no i'm not allowed to talk because like that's, well i'm not asking all for the your underground direct, right? i'm not asking for your direct referral but if somebody were to be interested and were to want an experience with a shaman specifically not just somebody who has access to the drugs but somebody who has the experience and people to guide you um where should they look how, how can they find something like that where's a great place to start Where's a great place to start? Um, meetup. <laughs> Meetup.com? Meetup. Really? Yeah. Uh -huh. Wow. Okay. Yeah? Is that where you kind of found, found some of your connections? I did. I found my connections there. But basically, like, the universe will bring you what you need to know, right? That's so true. It's very true. Seeking, when you start asking questions, you start making friends, then that all the answers the stuff to just you. show up on your stuff yeah you know and if all else fails then you do a little trip down to peru and you know I mean, they have all of that stuff online i don't think i would want to spend thousands of dollars on the experience but, <laughs> <laughs> you know do you think psychedelics are a necessary experience for everybody or for just oh my some god people? i wish everybody would i really do i really wish everyone would I'm like Timothy Leary. We all need to just like do it, right? Just drop out, <laughs> turn on, right? I really do because wouldn't that be made... cool? Just a collective worldwide trip all at one time, like just time it. Beep beep beep. <laughs> Everybody just like <laughs> <laughs> some benefits, some negatives. 
Well, everybody's minds will be quiet for a while. That's I feel true. like the vibration of the earth could benefit for that, if anything. This is true. Less pollution in that moment, at least. Oops. 15 minutes of peace. Yeah. Well, depending on the drug. Yeah, exactly. A few hours. Could be. Could be a day. <laughs> <laughs> As I've learned. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, See, that's why I was saying. It's like, I want to be a psychedelic psychotherapist because the side effects of doing the therapy is that people's minds are changed and I think they're changed for the better. They've done really amazing studies that show that, that just simply people who have done psychedelics are more compassionate for animals. They're more thoughtful for their environmental impact. They're literally better human beings <laughs> to the earth. How is that a bad thing? So yeah. yeah, I'm gonna slip that shit in everybody's pocket. <laughs> <laughs> For legal reasons, that was yes. a joke. <laughs> <laughs> a little privacy in your cappuccino and in your cappuccino. In the proper set and setting, I'm really looking forward to this new revolution because I think it is got a lot of positives. There are negatives. In the whole aspect, I think you had a question about what were the negatives. I did, yeah. And basically, it it falls on people are very vulnerable when they are on psychedelics. Okay. And so the people that you are entrusting your life to, your therapist, your shaman, these people need to be vetted because you are extremely vulnerable. And that's, that's where they, they worry about, you know, because like as a therapist myself going through all this training, the one thing that they always are saying over and over and over and over again, it's like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. It is, don't have sex with your client. <laughs> it's like, really? People do that? But apparently that's a thing. So wow. for your shaman, for your psychedelic experience, make sure that you're safe. That's that's the big thing. That's mm. that's the my most, you know, that's that's the biggest concern that I have. For anyone doing psychedelics, it's not the person doing psychedelics. It's not the drug. It is who are you entrusting your safety to? So vet that person really well. Mm -hmm. So That's I want I do want to make this conversation uh, a little bit more inclusive. So I I know that specifically psychedelics they advise people who have um, specific mental illnesses to not um, have these psychedelic experiences. Um, so people with like bipolar disorder, um, and you know, things like that. So, um, how do you feel about that? Do you, do you feel like your opinion changes, um, in those kinds of circumstances? Do you feel like those people need alternative help? Um, people who have bipolar and schizophrenia, it is a more of a biological problem versus a psychological problem. So depression and anxiety have to do with the default mode network in your brain. And that's why psychedelics works. It's not gonna work for someone who is schizophrenic, which is really interesting because a person who is schizophrenic doesn't really have the ego. So you can just imagine that the psychedelic experience is a little bit like a person who's schizophrenic. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> well, I suppose maybe on, on more of an anxious trip, you could experience some schizophrenia. Yes, yes. And, mm -hmm. and um, some young people could be prone to, when they do psychedelics, they might, if they were already prone to having schizophrenia, which doesn't usually show up until the 
they're in their 20s or in their yeah, 30s, 30s yeah. that a psychedelic experience could trigger their schizophrenia to come on. It's not that they wouldn't have become schizophrenic in the first place. It's that it happens it. earlier. Yeah. So that kind of almost leans me. I, I, I don't kind of want to push this to Ashley a little bit, just kind of like with your field in genetics. Do you feel like people should, um, if um, they're unsure of their family history, do you think that they should have some sort of genetic testing if they're curious about psychedelics, but a little bit afraid of new possible negatives? Do you think that that uh, is a possible um, kind of solution there almost for people to be able to know? Is that something that you guys do? Yeah. So I don't think the, I don't think the genetic testing is there yet, unfortunately. So I think if you have a family history of psychosis or schizophrenia or mental health conditions that have gone and progressed to that extreme, you probably want to be cautious just because um, we don't have good testing that could find all of the genetic underlying factors to why people in your family have had that. So you would be at risk. You, mm -hmm. you know, anyone who has a family member with um, schizophrenia or a more you know, non, um, I guess, I don't know. I don't want to say a more severe mental health condition, but a more medical mental health condition. Which would be bipolar and schizophrenia. Bipolar that's and schizophrenia. That's, that's the yeah. only two that are biologically based that, that I know of. Mm -hmm. So you do run the risk that there's genetic factors that little small ones that kind of get passed down through the family and your risk would be higher than the general population. Our testing isn't there. We don't know if we could pick up those little small risks. So unfortunately it's like use yeah. your best judgment if you're well, at Well, I guess that not. also relies a lot on family history too mm -hmm. and, and knowing and asking. And if you can't know or ask, um, yeah, I guess just try and have that conversation when you can. Yeah. Or yeah, be with someone exactly. you trust. Exactly. And it's, it's a really good question. And I think that unfortunately, um, even people that are kind of in between the medical field and I don't know, a more research type field, maybe still can't answer those questions. They're very important questions, but you know, like Casey was saying, you might trigger something that was already underlying. Maybe you wouldn't have had schizophrenia for years and years and years, and you've now got it you know, coming mm -hmm. on much, much earlier, but likely it's one factor, you know, your psychedelic experience might maybe as one factor in your little cup full of experiences and little genetic pieces. And so that was just the, the one more thing that made your cup fill up and overflow. Even at that, it is such a tiny number. It is so small of a number that it, it's not something that will stop the process of legalizing mushrooms or no 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 no, no. Like but also i just want to provide that perspective for the people who might have those experiences or or might know somebody with those experiences because i don't want to lead somebody in one direction and be like oh you listen to this podcast and psychedelics and now we advise everybody to take psychedelics but i just want to make sure that we're cautioning the right people and um just making sure that the people who haven't had the open conversations in their families about their mental health history um, can now invite themselves to have that conversation. I think that's a good plan. I think that is a safe bet for anyone. You should know your family history. You should try to know what you're at risk for. If you already have a pre-existing condition, I, I mean, I'm not sure your doctor will advise you either way on a psychedelic 
therapy, unfortunately, at this point. I don't know if a lot of uh, physicians are trained and understand this therapy very well, um, but they can advise you on um, how your condition is and how it's progressing and what you might be at risk for. So if you are curious, you should try to have that conversation with someone who's trained in the medical field and then make your best judgment based on what information you've been given, I think. And I also feel like um, taking psychedelics is an, ex is, uh, an experience you know you're ready for. Um, if you ever feel pressured to it, it's not the right time. Um, when the opportunity arises or when you create that opportunity for yourself and it feels exciting, like there's something on the other side for you, I think that's when it's, when it's an appropriate time to look into it. Absolutely. I think you should always do these things for your own benefit, not for anyone else's. And in a safe environment, if, if we're learning anything, studying is so important and safety is number one. So, yeah, the back story and, you know, your your setup is, is key. Yeah, totally. One thing that I'm really interested in, and maybe this question is is tricky to answer for literally everyone in the field, but do we know what certain psychedelics do an impact in the brain in terms of like the chemistry part of it no <laughs> okay no. no they know that it works on the default mode network and that's about it yeah um and as i have done my program and i've learned what the default mode network means um outside of psychedelics um it's a really exciting and promising um therapy tool. I, I think that, that this has a lot of promise. Mm -hmm. we, we're going to be able to do, we're going to be able to heal people in one or two sessions versus three or four years. They're working on things like PTSD mm -hmm. and they're getting cure rates. They're working on um, people stopping smoking and they're getting a 70% wow. cure rate. 70 percent it's like chantix is like the med that's out right now it only gets like 30 percent like wow. and that's that's just like in the early stages of okay you took this drug now what 30 percent 30 percent quit 70 quit on mushrooms that's amazing so it's like we, we this is going to revolutionize psychotherapy i really do believe it i think the long i think what's most exciting to me is this sort of uh, term of improvement, not just like a daily medication. It's not necessary to take daily medication. It's it's a, a treatment that has a long-standing effect, and you may never need to do a second um, treatment of it. You you might do one, like you said, one and done. And so clearly, there's some kind of biochemical process that's either um, upregulated, downregulated. Uh, or rewired or you know like you said before the different parts of the brain are starting to communicate in ways that they had never been able to because you have this this pathway that's kind You're of intersecting the 99 percent what it what was yeah it's like you only use like one percent of your brain like <laughs> psychedelics unlock that other 99 percent. but in a therapeutic way and how beautiful is that like mm -hmm. oh i just i really i'm all about the like okay a hits B, hits C, hits D. Okay, got it. Yeah, I see this. There's little blue circles and lines. And so I, I wonder that, but I can also appreciate that there's clearly evidence that is reputable and is demonstrating that there is a change going on there. 
And I think that uh, I, I was listening to a few other like podcasts and I was reading some literature on this and people are saying it's it's tricky because they're trying to sort of transition this study into a biomedical model because they want to get the FDA approval. They want to get the funding and it's yeah, not see, quite fitting the mold at the moment, but that's the my, attempt. Yeah. I'm wondering kind of. I've been wondering in this conversation, like where this is such a pessimistic view of it, but what the heck is a pharmaceutical company going to do about it? Because we know the pharmaceutical company does not like anybody to come up against them. And well, I have the answer. Oh, Ooh, go ahead. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, what they're using for their Johns Hopkins study is a synthetic version of it. So they're, it's a lab created mm. psilocybin. And because it's lab created, it's very specific and it becomes a drug that a drug manufacturer could create. And so, so it's more of, of a pivot for yeah. them than anything. It's it's still good. I mean, it's still what we need. No, absolutely. But it's, but it's not the mushroom that grows in the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And I just I <laughs> I worry that it's going to become another uh, another stream of revenue for somebody who doesn't benefit off of it other than the finances. For sure. I think it will. So be. I wonder how we prevent that, or at least I mean, obviously, like. We maybe cannot go against a whole pharmaceutical company. Uh, that's why psychedelics um, maybe are not mainstream yet. Um, but yeah, like what are what are some ways that you think that we could combat that, or that that would be combated? Not, I mean, this is totally hypothetical because it's in the future. Well, I mean, is it is it bad if someone wants to mass produce it and make it accessible? Is I don't that know. a bad that's thing? That's what I'm asking. LSD is, is made in a lab. It's made in a lab, for MDMA sure. MDMA is made in a lab. Mm-hmm. And so now they're synthetically making um, psilocybin. And that's going to open the doors. And, I, and then I think that we're going to probably have a lot of laws like we do with cannabis, where they're just going to open the doors to allow it to be, you know, you can grow it, you can have it, blah, blah, blah. But then we're also going to have our... our, our legal version that's done in therapy and it's going to be different because it's going to be it's a it's a pill versus you know drinking a tea in a forest yeah so it's a different experience um but i think that what they're doing at johns hopkins is opening the doors to be able to allow the recreational use and the and and the shamanic use of it yeah i think the problem becomes when Whenever a drug is created for mass use and mass production and it gets made by a pharmaceutical is people sort of get forced into buying it from that producer or using it in that way. And then there's issues with insurance and access. And I think that's where mainly we'll run into the problem is if it becomes entirely mainstream, people may actually have less access to it. Well, then again, I, it's, I mean, hypothetically, they're not going to need frequent access to it, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. they would only need temporary access. True. Well, yeah. instead of six months or three years or 10 years worth of therapy, you know, they're going to go in for maybe one, two, three times ever. And then they're going to be 
you know, they're, they're going to have their experience and then they will be healed of their depression or anxiety or PTSD or alcoholism or whatever it is. It's, it's going to revolutionize mental health. It's like what we see right now with mental health and with insurance and with everything else, it's, it has to, it's going to undo, it's going to revolutionize. It's not going to be the same thing 10 years from now. Yeah, so I guess like in that, in that same kind of perspective, do you think it's enough to completely change? Like, do you think that um, people who have uh, psychedelic experiences and, you know, are so, you know, healed, whatever you call it, um, do you think that those people could still benefit from therapy long term? Or do you think that these people have such a different perspective that therapy is almost a waste of time? I don't know. How, I don't know how to put that. Um, Unknown. I mean, the people that have gone through the um, experiences with Johns Hopkins, they had cancer or, you know, they were facing death. Um, I'm not sure if they still have their regular therapist, but what they experienced helped them tremendously. It changed their lives. You just listen to their stories. It's, it's incredible what they went through just with one experience just once yeah so but I don't know if they do they still need to have therapy because of you know their kids are driving them crazy or their husband you know like is having an affair I don't know probably I think <laughs> therapists are still gonna be around for all that stuff yeah well yeah I, I asked that because those exact scenarios like as much as we want to be healed and perfect humans there are still things that are going to irritate us throughout the day or put us off of our best selves um and as beautiful of a drug psychedelics as it's not a perfect cure i don't think so but it does sound like it's it's sort of that uh opening it's like opening the door to learning the tools and practicing the tools like like i was saying before the, the cbt so it it's really hard to practice um behavioral therapy techniques while you're in the middle of whatever you're experiencing when you're going through your trauma or you're experiencing the worst of your mental health um, condition and so if you've been able to kind of look at your condition more objectively in maybe your um, therapeutic experience and maybe have brought some of those techniques with you in your um you know, your therapy and reviewing after your trip, like you said, you go through with your clients and you talk about it and you integrate it, then maybe it lasts more long-term than a therapy alone, like a counseling session alone, because you've had such a powerful experience. You've integrated the techniques that you knew about the CBT or other behavioral things. And now you're applying it day to day in your life rather than just learning the techniques and attempting to the, apply them at the worst possible moments mm -hmm. where you've never really yeah. had the support. You've never really been free and supported to, to experiment when you're not experiencing the worst of your, your mental health problem. You know, if someone's learning these techniques when they're feeling more open and relaxed and not, you know, in the worst of their experience, then maybe that it's solidified a little bit better, or maybe it's um, like, you've practiced it a bit more deeply and it comes back as a, as a technique. Yeah. It's yeah. Like I like how you put it almost a practice. Like it's mm -hmm. just like a mindful practice almost. Yeah. And I mean, that's what I was reading. I think a a potential benefit for me would be able to learn 
some of those techniques a bit more while having my guard down, you know, really investigating what the root of the, the issue is or what I'm going through and trying to apply some of those techniques and then taking them through the day-to-day -day life after the fact. And I think that's what some people benefit from is that they can explore um, what they're going through and what might work to help them get out of it without apprehension and hesitation and like, yeah, that loss of ego. You're not worried necessarily about yourself. You're just exploring from that objective kind of um, godlike position. You're just looking down and, you're, yeah. and you're, you're not worried about the intimate details of what everything means. You're just experiencing it. You worry less about yourself. Yeah. But again, that's that's all ego. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, again, it feels like um, in in that sense of unlocking your best self, self-actualization, like in a person who maybe is struggling to get from poor to good and not they're not at self-actualization yet. It still could be like that key to releasing some of those those walls and those barriers and stepping to that next level of a good self, you know, moving up that kind of pyramid. Um, yeah. Cause they're not so worried about what they think of themselves or what they're experiencing day to day. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I feel like that was, that was a really nice uh, conversation. And I feel like that was a, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have I don't have any more questions. I mean, not it at just, least that I can think of. I'm just kind of like meditating on the whole thing. Me just too. Kind of like, it's so cool. I just like psychedelic. This was so much fun. Yeah. Enjoy. Thank, thank you, you so much. much for being on our podcast. Ah, yes. Thank you. So <laughs> oh my god, I was like, yes. <laughs>